We all have giants in our lives. And I'm not talking about the good giants because there are great giants in my life on whose shoulders I stand. But I'm talking about the negative giants, those giants that harass us, that mock us, those giants that frustrate us, those giants that discourage us, those giants who are constantly trying to defeat us. They, exactly like Goliath of old, they stand mocking the people of God. The Bible said that day after day, Goliath would come out and he would mock the people of Israel. Day after day, he would challenge the people of God. And nobody was able to defeat him. Until a young shepherd boy by the name of David, the son of Jesse, who came on the scene. You see, the giants in your life may be different from the giants in my life. And the giants in my life may be different from the giants in your life. But unless you know how to slay giants, Satan will use these giants to discourage you. He will use these giants to keep you defeated. He will use these giants to keep you from being effective soldier of the living God. These giants, whether it be the giants of fear, giants of worry and anxiety, whether they'll be the giants of depression, whether they be the giants of addiction, whether they be the giants of restlessness, whether they be the giants of greed, whether they'll be the giants of envy and jealousy, whether they'll be the giants of bitterness and anger, whatever kind of giants they may be, these giants have one purpose in mind, and they are designed basically to defeat you and to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. Well, how do you slay giants? I read not so long ago about a Sunday school teacher in Texas who decided one day to build a life-size statue of Goliath. And she took it into her Sunday school class. And she said to the children, Children, when you face a Goliath like this, a giant like this, what would you do? A four-year-old boy said, I would call 911. (laughs) That's one way of dealing with it. The story of David and Goliath is really probably one of the most known stories of the Bible. It is known to believers and non-believers alike. A Philistine who was huge in size and stature was mocking and harassing and defeating the people of God. But then came a little shepherd boy by the name of David and he took on this heavyweight champion of the world, and none of the cable operators were there to carry it live. This battle in the Bible understood to be a type, a representation of the battle between Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this battle has begun from the very beginning, back in the Garden of Eden. But you see, here Goliath is representative of Satan. He is like all the giants in your life and in the giants in my life. He was Satan's champion. And then comes David, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's champion. And don't you ever forget that Goliath was defeated and David was victorious. You see, David, the shepherd boy, was the foreshadowing 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. David put a stone in the sling, and he threw it at Goliath's forehead. And once it hit him, he yelled, Timber! Because he knew his God was giving him victory. When David put the stone in his sling, it was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ, a solid rock upon whom the church is built. Jesus, the one who crushed the head of Satan on the cross. Jesus, the one who defeated all of the giants, whether they are real or imaginary. Jesus is the one who destroyed the power of sin. Jesus is the one who defeated the sting of death. Jesus did this as he promised in the book of Genesis that he will do, crushing the head of the serpent. And that's exactly what he did. Back in the book of Genesis, God said that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, Satan himself. And Jesus did this on Calvary. Well, right after that victory that God gave David over Goliath, David sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he penned these words in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, and all that swam the path of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Precious Father, we pray in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus that you will open our spiritual eyes, that we will see wonderful truth from your word. And having been opened and having seen, we, our will be bent toward you, to obey what you have taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. After this great victory that David had over the evil one, over Goliath, he sat down and began to celebrate. And he began to celebrate in two ways. Number one, he was celebrating the surpassing majesty of God. Secondly, he was celebrating the sober measurement of man. They were not the other way around. You see, for our understanding of humanity to be correct, you have to start with God. I studied anthropology for six years. Anthropos means man. Anthropology is the study of man. And I saw these dear people going all over the map. Man did this. Man can do that. Man cannot do this. Man will do this. Man, because they started with man. And that is a faulty start to begin with. David is saying at the outset... That we will never understand human beings unless we see them as God sees them. That we will never understand humanity and human being and human behavior until we understand them the way God who made them understands them. 
We will never understand human beings unless we recognize that they have special responsibility to their Creator. So he begins with the surpassing majesty of God. That's what always has to begin, not with the sobering measurement of man. Why? Because any understanding of human beings that is not from God's perspective is faulty understanding. Any study of human beings that does not begin with their creator and take him into account first and foremost, at best, is faulty. It's wrong. But there's another reason, I believe, why David was writing this psalm. There's another reason why David began with the superiority of the Lord God, that surpassing majesty. I want to tell you why. Because David understood that when you are defeating, and when you are facing giants in your life, and when you are under attack, you do not panic. You do not fret. You do not tranquilize yourself. You do not try to escape. You do not put your head in the sand and pretend it's not there. You do not go and live your life in despair. You do not surrender to your fears. You do not give in to the defeatist attitude. David said, listen carefully please. He said, from first-hand experience, what you need to do is to do some name-calling. No, not calling the names of your enemy. I'll tell you what, that's a temptation to call your enemy names. I know that temptation. I have fallen for it, you know, sometime. Uh, (laughs) But that's not what he's talking about, okay? He is talking about calling the name of the Lord. Look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me ask you this. Are you discouraged? Are you feeling defeated? Are you worried? Are you concerned about the future? Call upon the name of the Lord. Because the Bible said there's power in the name of the Lord. There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is victory in the name of the Lord. But David is saying more than that. Listen to what he's saying. David is saying, when you look at the creation and see its magnificence, when you look at the creation and you see its majesty, you are only seeing a very, very, very tiny, pale approximation of the real glory of God. He's saying, if you can even catch a glimpse, a tiny glimpse of the real glory of God or the full glory of God in heaven. If you can get a tiny peek into God's full glory in heaven, you will realize that your praise of God is totally inadequate. You will be ashamed of how little you praise the Lord. That's what David is saying here. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 8. Every infant and babe can praise God. It's not just for adults. In fact, this very verse was quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when he was coming into Jerusalem? And there they were praising him. And then those hard-headed, hypocritical, self-righteous Pharisees were trying to stop them from praising the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said. He quoted Psalm 8 verse 2. He said, God, from the lips of infants, ordained praise. Now, if you haven't read my book, Empowered by Praise, you need to read it, study it, live by it. It would encourage you. But when David came into the battlefield, and he saw Goliath mocking the people of God, and I don't know what's mocking you right now. You know better than I do 
When he saw the Goliath mocking the people of God, he said, what is this Philistine who's mocking my God? And his big brother said, are you a blind boy? He's big. He's mean. Can't you see? He can hurt you, boy. Get out of here. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That there are never a short supply of the prophets of fear. There is never a short supply of those who are nervous Nellies. There are never a short supply of the worry warts. Let me tell you how I see it right now. As I see it and I look at the globe right now and I see what's going on in the world and what's going on in our country. This is how I see it. It is now becoming high noon. And there are only two forces that are left in the street. They are the faithful remnant of the Lord Jesus Christ and there are the forces of evil. And it is time for the faithful to stand up and say enough is enough. I am absolutely convinced of that the time has come. That the Goliaths of this world are challenging the people of the living God. It is time for us to call upon the powers of heaven. It is time for us to humble ourselves before God in prayer. It is time for us to stop having one foot in the world and one foot with God. It is time to be jealous for God's righteousness. It is time to be jealous for God's name. It is time for us to appropriate the power of the name of God. It is time for us to claim the promises of God. It is time for us to stop wanting to be accepted by pagans. It is time for us to stop wanting to be loved by everybody. It is time, it is time for the defeated and despondent, discouraged army of God to rise up and recognize who they are and who God is. It is time. There's one thing I don't want you to miss. And if you're writing, I want you to write this down. When David slayed Goliath, he used Goliath's own sword to kill him with it. Don't forget that one. Remember that when you're facing your giant. With every problem that you are facing, with every difficulty that is harassing you, with every giant that is challenging you, There is in that problem the very weapon of defeating the problem if you know how to look for it. I can imagine some of those Israelites panicking, wringing their hands. Day after day, Goliath gets up and he mocks them. And they wring their hands. And they say, oh man, as they shiver in their boots. Man, wouldn't that be a great day for the church when Goliath becomes a Christian? Let me tell you something. Who becomes a Christian is God's business. It's our job to tell the truth. It's our job to proclaim. It is God's job to change hearts. And I want to tell you something else. Might as well while I'm at it. (laughs) Somebody asked me not so long ago. He said to me, he said, is your church a seeker-friendly church? I said, oh yes, we are very seeker-friendly. He said, really? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, what do you do? Uh, As a seeker friendly, I said, listen, here's what we do. We believe that the Bible said no man seeketh after God. No one. The Bible said that God seeks after man. And if you're here today seeking after God, it's because God is seeking after you. And I want to tell you something. We are very friendly to our seeker. Isn't that great? 
That was not the answer he was looking for. But it is biblical. David understood first and foremost the surpassing majesty of God. For that is the secret of victory. Secondly, David understood the sobering measurement of man. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 8. David said, when I look at your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which have been established. What is man that you are mindful of him? You know what David is saying? He says, when I look at the billions of galaxies around the globe, as I lie down in my field, as I look at the vastness of the universe that you have created and you have put together, when I realize that the light coming to us from the most distant part of the universe has taken billions of years to get here, when I see all of that, I am absolutely flabbergasted that you, the God of the universe, the God of this vast universe, the God who made it all, the God who's sustaining it all, the God who orders it and maintains it all, cares about me. That you care about every single human being on the face of the earth. Not only that, but he cares about every single detail in the life of every single human being on the face of the earth. But David is saying more than that. David is saying that means that God, the God who has given human beings, who are really a tiny speck in the universe, he has given them higher priority than the galaxies. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? David is saying, oh God, it's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling that you are more interested in people than planets. God, it is mind-boggling that you are more interested in souls than in stars. God, it is mind-boggling that you're more interested in us than in the universe. And because God cares and is interested in us, He came to us from heaven so that he may be not only one of us, but so he may save us from our sin and the condemnation of sin. Don't you ever say, God does not care for me. Don't ever say that. You may not like the way he cares for you. I understand that. I had a talk with him a few times about the way I want him to take care of me and the way he's taking care of me. I understand that. But don't ever fall in the trap of thinking that God doesn't care for you. He cares for you. How foolish, how foolish of trying to define who we are without understanding God's definition of who we are. Let me give you just some silly examples. Through the years, these dear people, Darwin, for example, said that man is a highly developed animal. Freud said that man is an undeveloped child. Karl Marx said that man is merely an economic factor. Pascal said that man is a reed, a thinking reed. Mark Twain apologized for man by explaining that man was made by God at the end of the week when God was tired. (laughs) But before all of these, Plato once defined man as a featherless bird. That, of course, until one of his rivals showed up in his doorstep with a plucked chicken and said, Behold, Plato's man. And then Plato changed his definition and called man a being in search of meaning. But listen to what God said about man. In Psalm 8 verse 5, 
God said, man is crowned by God with glory and honor. That's what God said. The Bible said that God created men and women in his own image. God created men and women to reflect his glory. God created men and women like no other created being. That God has set men and women apart from all of creation. So much so that he made man to be his vice president in charge of the earth. That's how much God thinks of man. Now let me tell you something about Thomas Aquinas. He's a, a great, great theologian. And he was the first one to explain what Psalm 8 means here. Here's what he said. He said, man is midway between the heavenly beings or the angels and the animals. He said, angels above, and they are above man, and the beasts are below man. He said, angels have spirits, but no bodies. Animals and beasts have bodies, but no spirits. But man is the only of God's creation that has both body and spirit. There's a reason why the Bible did not say that man is above beast. He said, a little lower than the heavenly beings. Why did the Bible not reverse that and said man is higher than beast? I want to tell you why. Listen to me. The reason for that is to emphasize the fact that men and women have been given special privilege and duty to look upward to angels and beyond angels to God in order that they will reflect the image of God. When you look up, When you look to God, when you look with gazing in the face of God, when you try to imitate God, when you exhibit the characteristics of God, when your focus is on God, you will increasingly become God-like. You know what I said, God-like? There are some preachers running around and saying that man is God with a small g. That's a heresy. We're created in God's own image. We're not equal with God. But when you gaze downward, and that's why the psalmist said he was created lower than angels, or lower than heavenly beings, Elohim. When you gaze downward, what do you see? You go sooner or later, you will increasingly exhibit a beast-like behavior. Let me tell you something. The reason the merchants of the theory of evolution, though many of them know it is false, the reason they're selling the product so hard is because they want man to be more beast-like. The reason why the evolutionists are telling us that uh, we are just like monkeys is because they want human beings to cohabitate like monkeys. The reason why they want us to look down instead of looking up is because they want us to be beast-like instead of God-like. When King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the great empire, The moment he turned his back on God, he was like a beast grazing in the field. I want you to listen to what he said in Daniel 4.30. And I want you to compare it with the attitude of the secular humanists of our day. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, is it not this great Babylon I have built as my royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty... And God clicked his fingers. And there he was, a beast, grazing in the fields. The reason why the secular humanists 
want to eliminate God out of society's collective consciousness is because they want us to derive our identity from the animal kingdom. And that is contrary to God's purpose for man. Indeed, they are doing things that even animals would not do. And that's their agenda. In fact, the book of Hebrew tells us that God is in the person of Jesus Christ, became lower than angels, so that he may achieve the salvation of all those who put their trust, their confidence, their faith in him. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to save us from willful ignorance. And therefore you have no excuse buying into the humanist agenda. He came to save us Not only from willful ignorance, but he came to save us from rebellion. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from heaven so that he may fulfill Psalm 8. Because he and he alone could fulfill this psalm. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 tells us that God put everything in subjection under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he made it possible for us to identify with him. And one day, one day, those who love Jesus are going to share in the inheritance of Jesus. One day, that all things be in subjection under our feet. Jesus left his glory and splendor to rescue us. Then he went back to his glory and splendor. And I want to illustrate that. Queen Elizabeth II, when she was a teenager... It was right about the beginning of World War II. And she went to her father, King George VI, and she asked a special permission that she would volunteer in the army, just like other teenagers in her time were volunteering. Her father was very reluctant, but finally he allowed her to enroll, allowed her to join the auxiliary territorial services as a private She had a superior officer who took pleasure in bullying her, who took pleasure in bossing her. It was, Private Windsor, do this. Private Windsor, do that. And Elizabeth would respond, yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. She was made little lower than a non-commissioned officer for the sake of her people. But then on February 6, 1952, when George VI died, her father died, That very moment, she became instantly became the Queen of England. She was no longer Private Windsor. She was no longer battered and badgered by a small-minded, non-commissioned officer. She was Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. She inherited a position for which she was born. Never again would she be called Private Windsor. I want you to listen carefully. I'm getting ready to conclude. In a far greater way, in a far superior way, our Lord Jesus Christ fought the devil on the cross, crushed his head, gained a victory, and now he is reigning and ruling in heaven. And all who love Jesus, they too shall rule and reign with him. But the question is, will you? Will you rule and reign with him without submitting your will to the kingship and the authority of Jesus Christ? You will not, 
most assuredly. And that is why He's inviting you today. You can come to that moment of surrender, that moment of receiving victory from His hand here and now and for eternity. That is the message of the gospel. That is the heart of the gospel, and that is what was fulfilled, what fulfilled Psalm chapter 8. If you have never done that, today you can do that. If you have never invited, you have never surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know Him as Savior, but you do not know Him as the Lord and the Master of your life, you can say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, rule supreme. Take control of all the areas of which I have control over. And all the areas that I don't want you to take control, I surrender them to you now. Lord, I know that I can only reign and rule with you when you reign and rule over my heart. For it is in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.